It's been a few months now. Uh, and last time we spoke, we left you in an airport car park, Thomas. And now here we are again in uh, a room together. So either something went horribly wrong or something went completely correctly. <laughs> or something in between, perhaps. <laughs> Indeed. So how was it? <laughs> well, I had a lovely time until, of course, the world kind of went horribly wrong. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, well, it must have been uh, that plague of locusts. No, um, uh, look, I, I had six weeks um, in the UK based in the city of Oxford and uh, enjoying getting to know that place because I hadn't really spent much time there before. Um, but I was very lucky to be able to... Um, make music at uh, a Catholic church called the Oxford Oratory, where they have beautiful music, beautiful liturgy. Um, and uh, the choir consists of six to eight professional singers from around that area. And of course, these are people that are in all the um, most uh, important and famous vocal ensembles in the UK. So um, that was a real privilege and I had a lovely time. Wonderful. Mm. And uh, now you're someone who has spent the majority of the last 10 years in Sydney. So how was it being in England in February and March? <laughs> yes, I had forgotten what the cold felt like, I think. <laughs> and um, the, the people that I was staying with um, kindly encouraged me to use to make use of a spare bicycle that they had. Um, and I was very pleased to do that because it meant that I could feel like, you know, I really was a, a, a local because um, everyone in Oxford seems to get about on bicycles. That's um, true. Did you have a gown flowing out from <laughs> behind you? As, Sadly as not. You I would enjoyed that even more yeah <laughs> but um of course i did notice the cold as you whiz along but i mean that that was all part of it and actually you know they say uh, a change is as good as a rest well I, I think i managed to have both of those good things because uh, i certainly was able to to have a rest um on this uh, sabbatical but also the change even the change in the weather was quite welcome right Yes, something a bit different. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, great. Um, and But then, as you say, the world did change. We were all confronted with the Rona. Yes, I mean, it was a, a slightly um, rude awakening because something about Oxford and that kind of place is it, it's a little bit otherworldly. You know, I spent most... Um, I went to the, the Anglican service of Evensong in a college chapel almost every day every evening right. um, which I've never done before in my life for such a um, prolonged period of time and uh, you know it, have you it got was... an announcement for us now if that's a... <laughs> no, no I wouldn't say that but um, uh, it was really very very lovely and and special but then to sort of slowly become aware that things were going on outside of that little bubble. Yes, it is a bit of a bubble, isn't it? It is a bubble. Yeah. And uh, although I also was able to spend time in London and, and I actually went further afield to, to Truro um, uh, in the United Kingdom in order to give an organ recital on um, what is really one of the most fabulous cathedral organs I've ever played. Um, by the way, or on the way to Truro, I stopped off at a place called Buckfast Abbey, 
where they, <laughs> I suppose the most famous um, export from Buckfast Abbey, apart from religion, um, is something called uh, Buckfast Tonic Wine. I'd argue that for some people it's probably more famous than the religion. Possibly actually, yes. even. <laughs> I did enjoy some some Buckfast Tonic Wine, or Bucky as it's known, um, and reminded myself why I probably didn't need to do that again. Right. Uh, um, was but, it a, a little bit of an owie head, was it? It was. Yeah. It really was. Even going down. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> but um, that that being said, um, gosh, Buckfast is a wonderful place, and the the music team there are extremely um, uh, talented and um, enterprising uh, young people who are doing wonderful things with the choir, and and of course they've just got a brand new, very interesting. Italian organ, which fills the Abbey Church. My gosh, it makes an incredible noise. Um, and they've started a recording label to make recordings of um, liturgical music. And the CDs are already beginning to, to churn out with some really exciting performers, including Martin Baker, the former Master of Music of Westminster Cathedral, the Westminster Cathedral Choir, and of course the Choir of Buckfast Abbey. So that's a, a really exciting thing and it was great to be able to see what they're doing there and uh, to, to to meet some of my colleagues again maybe a little bit envious oh i'd say so it's a very very nice place to live and, and to mm. make music in spite of the um, cold well i didn't notice it so much there because right. of that beautiful beautiful weather yeah and of course this is the thing that some people tend to forget that um even in winter the, the uk can be absolutely stunning um, no question the yes. sunlight is different there somehow than it is here and i would say that it's different again in uh, new zealand where i grew up that you know mm. so you begin to sort of take account of uh, of that and uh, again I, I really appreciated that that change so the uh, couple of days i spent in buckfast were, were very lovely and then the train um it's one it was sort of one of those train journeys where the train itself gets smaller and smaller until i think i was there were only two carriages left yeah. by the time we got to truro <laughs> um, which is further away and that's away. deliberate right they, uh, it's not that like you were just lo losing rolling stock i think along it's like way. a saturn five rocket right <laughs> that's what right. it's supposed to do um but we got to truro and uh, you could then you know immediately hear the seagulls and uh, uh, realize that it's a different You're, place altogether. Yes, the English, the English beach. Yes. Yeah. And then to the remarkable cathedral, which is very like the Anglican cathedral in Brisbane in this country because it's the same architect. Oh, right. Um, and so what, what date uh, approximately would Truro Cathedral be? It must be late Victorian. Right. Um, I don't know the exact date. Right, right. But... Um, Yes, it, it has this incredible organ and a very fine choir. Uh, and in fact, the, well, the, one of the reasons I went there is that the former um, assistant master of music from here, from uh, St. Mary's Cathedral, Sydney, Michael Butterfield has been acting assistant director of music there at Truro Cathedral and, and he's still there. Uh, so it was great to be able to see him, to see him um, playing the organ and conducting the choir and doing the things that he's there to do. Um, and also to give for me to give an organ recital on this incredible organ. Uh, so that was really lovely few days. I'm sure that was very well received by the well, I hope concert so. Goers, As yes. it turned out, it was the um, the opening recital in their planned series of organ recitals for this year. Uh -huh. um, but it also happened to be the last. <laughs> right. Um, so, so you're the one and only for this year. That's right. So in the midst yeah. of, of this idyllic life um, for me of, of going to Evensong in Oxford and travelling around and giving organ recitals, there was this encroaching sort of um, spectre 
of, mm. of, of coronavirus. Mm. And well, I mean, I even remember before leaving Australia, people saying to me, oh, are you sure you want to be going overseas because of this, this virus? And at that time, so sort of mid to late January, um, there were actually more cases in Australia, um, mainly, I think, from people that had been traveling mm. um, than there were in, in places like the UK. So I blithely said, oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm getting out of it. It's much better over there. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we both here and in the UK tended to be relatively unaffected by SARS and MERS and all these other syndromes that have taken the Far East by storm in the last couple of decades. Uh, and yet this one has behaved differently. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I could see the, the, the news cycle began to fill up. Um, but it was when I started to hear that Australia was talking about closing its borders. I thought, well, I've got, just got to go home. Right. And fortunately, um, uh, the airline I was flying made that very easy. And although transit in Dubai was uh, not straightforward and everybody was missing connecting flights and there was a good degree of chaos, um, I did manage to get first to Melbourne and then to Sydney. Uh, so that was fine. And after 14 days isolating in my own apartment, um, it was before. Yeah, you came back you know, before they instituted uh, hotel Yes, indeed. So I was very, I isolation. think I'm very lucky about that. Yeah, um, you picked the right time to come back. And that I got out of that isolation just in time for Holy Week at the cathedral, which did go ahead, of course, mm. but um, not in the way that anyone had ever envisaged, really. No, really? Well, <laughs> we've certainly never had a, a Holy Week with the doors closed and um, without a congregation, without yeah. a full choir. Um, There's something quite um, post-Reformation about it, isn't there? Yes, I mean, because in one sense, I suppose, having been away from uh, my job here for six weeks, um, which is, a, I mean, certainly the longest I've ever done that, um, I was slightly nervous about having to come back as, as was planned, um, just in time for Holy Week and suddenly having to step in. Well, as it was, I was stepping into completely new territory and it was new for everybody. Yeah. So actually, in a funny sort of way, it was, uh, um, uh, perhaps I won't use the word exciting, but I think all of us that were involved in any way in the running of the cathedral at that time in particular, uh, just were aware that we were doing something extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was... So you must have been glad to be, have been involved in yes, that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so let's just, let's just recap for either listeners who aren't in Australia or for posterity's sake. What happened was that gradually the, our experience of lockdown, as it was in Australia, was such that um, eventually churches were closed, uh, but that it was possible for services to continue with clergy and essential ministers. That's right. Whereas in other parts of the world, including the United Kingdom, even clergy weren't allowed inside their buildings. Yeah. Um, it was just lock. Yeah, completely locked out. Um, whereas, yes, as you say here, it was possible for the services to happen. And of course, St. Mary's has been set up for some time for, for live streaming on the internet with cameras and, and the audio, etc. So, um, And that's been progressively up, upgraded, the technology for that, over the last uh, five to ten years. And, it has, and yeah. how fortunate as well. Exactly. Um, and uh, the, the 
members of the cathedral team that uh, that look after these things have themselves, you know, sort of um, upskilled, shall we say, uh, to the point that they've really become rather expert at doing the whole thing. Um, and it just meant that we all had to rethink the way we made uh, the liturgy happen because whereas normally... <laughs> Perhaps you you don't even think so much about um, the experience of the the worshipper. Um, it's the, the liturgy has has its own form and direction, and and you you your job is to do what it says. <laughs> but um, under these circumstances, we really did have to rethink it. And in some ways, not not completely, of course, but to some extent, the cathedral became a television set. Yes, well, I had I I was asked to read on one occasion, and going in, felt it felt very different indeed. Yeah. Uh, not least because you know pews had been moved around and pulled around, so that uh, with a view that that everything looked normal, that which was in in shot, as people kept uh, concerning themselves with, but everything else was all a little bit chaotic to say the least. Um, now, one one thing that we might also just mention for for the record was that. Uh, something special happened in the cathedral on Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday morning, which is that Channel 7 television broadcast the liturgies on those days. Which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, of course, Channel 7 are a commercial television network. They're not the national broadcaster. Um, I know that there were calls uh, for the ABC to do something. Mm. As there were in the UK, calls that the, same, the BBC, the BBC to do, ought to, to mm. do something or to do more than it otherwise would have done, right? which it didn't. Mm. Um, and here we had uh, Channel 7 um, actually come uh, to the diocese, I think, um, with this idea, or at least they were very receptive if it came from, from our end. And not only uh, did they seemingly want this to happen, but they wanted it to happen in the most appropriate way. Right. So they couldn't, in my um, view, they couldn't have been more supportive of of everything that that we needed or that was important from the liturgical and uh, indeed religious point of view. Uh, it was a, a, a really good collaboration, I think. That's good. I do know that um, for some people... Uh, who find uh, live streaming a little bit beyond them because it's outside their ken, they they nevertheless were able, were, were comforted by the fact that they were able to tune into Channel 7 for the Good Friday Liturgy and the East Sunday morning masses. The only um, slight, uh, well, uh, limit on it was that it did have to fit within a television time slot. That's right, yes. So and it felt very fast. <laughs> either of those occasions, the, the liturgy on Good Friday afternoon or the solemn mass on Easter Sunday morning would normally take a bit more than one hour. Um, and they really, just a bit, they yes. had to fit within that. So, um, look, every opportunity to, um, trim things down was taken. And in some respects, that's not a bad thing. There are certainly times that there's no point, uh, elongating things in the liturgy or, um, if there's time wasted by just people not knowing what's coming next yeah. or faffing about mm. that's, uh, that's, you know, we could do well to excise that. I think that actually there were some aspects that it's a shame they had to be truncated um, because they're not able then to speak with quite the same power that they would. But having said that, the whole thing is not the same as it would be if people were actually there in the cathedral. Exactly. And I mean, look, in many ways, I've had a strange experience of lockdown in general 
but I can't really say that I've been um, experiencing live streamed church services because I've been involved in in the production, the production thereof. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I but but having said that, I, I do think it's different, and that that people yeah. that are sitting at home, you, you can't expect them to treat it in the same way they would, or to experience it the same way they would if they were in the building. So some degree of um, modification from our end is is appropriate. No, I think that's right. Music wise, tell us about what what has happened during that that period. Well, for Holy Week, um, well, just before um, Holy Week happened, when the lockdown finally sort of um, uh, came into being in, in this state, um, we took the decision that uh, really we, we couldn't expect the boys of the Cathedral Choir to be involved in any way. Lots of reasons for that, of course. There are too many of them. They're youngsters. It would require them coming into the cathedral, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, they weren't um, going to school at that, that point. That's so, right. Yeah. So that that just wasn't going to be possible, sadly. Um, but that with um, in consultation with the New South Wales uh, health people, it was possible for a, a smaller than usual number of the lay clerks, the professional singers in the choir, to sing as long as they were to make sure that they observed physical distancing from from one another um, at all times, including when they were singing in the cathedral, and distance from anyone else and any other participants. So that meant that whereas we would normally have 11 or 12 lay clerks, um, we, for Holy Week, I think had a maximum of eight. Um, And in fact, for the last several weeks, we've been um, making do with four for oh, right. mass, Gosh. Uh, which is a real challenge, actually. It's much yeah. more difficult for them to sing um, one per part than it is even even doubling the part so that you have eight singers makes it a little bit easier. And it's a challenge for me because so much of the best liturgical music is for more than four parts, usually six. And uh, so I've had to be a little bit creative about what we can do just with four singers. But for Holy Week, at least we were allowed we were allowed eight. Um, and I think the lay clerks did a really remarkable job. We did have to um, keep an eye on the length of things. And indeed, we didn't sing as many parts of the liturgy as we might normally. Um, and again, that's for the reasons I've already covered, the, just taking account of the different circumstances of people watching from home. Mm. Um, it's uh, perhaps when... They're not a captive audience in the sense they're not captive um, in terms of what they're experiencing at the cathedral, even if they are captive inside their own home. And there's always... They can always always flip flip to the other channel. That's exactly right. Which is um, a bit more difficult when you're actually sat in the cathedral, I suppose. Yeah. So it meant that we perhaps didn't sing um, the full polyphonic ordinary of the mass. We might have sung the Gloria, but not the Kyrie or vice versa. Yeah. One... uh, sort of sadness for me is that we haven't been singing the um, Gregorian chant, either um, gradual tract or alleluia that precedes the gospel. And that's at the moment as part of that, um, uh, just not in the direction of length of the overall service. Yeah, time constraints, Um, yes. But it's an important part of what we do, and I do look forward to when that can return. I I do too, yes. So since... um things have begun to change as restrictions ease, as they say. There was a period when there were there were 10 congregants allowed in churches, and so things continued. And then um, for the last uh, couple of weeks, there's been a limit of 50 congregants. Now, some churches, that might be the whole parish, 
but certainly in the cathedral uh, on a Sunday, you'd see probably a little bit more than 50 people. <laughs> well, as, as the Dean has said, you know, if we wanted the same number of people to be able to experience mass here over a weekend as they would normally, uh, we would have to have you know, normal, almost mass on the hour every hour. Right, yes. Um, it would, and even then may not be possible. So, yeah. um, yes, it, it is, even though 50 people are allowed, um, we have an increased mass schedule Yeah. Um, to try and give more people the opportunity. But even then, it will be nothing like it normally is. But mm. look, at least th- th- that is possible. And it's been, having said that I had enjoyed the... Um, unusual circumstances of that quiet, closed cathedral. And there was something special about that, I have to say, Mm. uh, which I'll never forget. Um, It is nice to see um, real live people in the cathedral. Yes. I think it was Cardinal Newman that was uh, once overheard, or maybe he was part of a conversation with another clergyman talking about um, the laity. And Newman is supposed to have said, Something to the effect that, yes, but we'd all look very silly without them. Right, indeed. <laughs> so, so at least we don't look as silly. Yeah, well, that's that we good. And, and what, would you say that the either the attitude or the, the, the performance of, of the singers has has shifted as, as congregants actually return bodily? No, I don't know. I mean, I think in general over this time, the lay clerks have been, I mean, they're always professional. Of, of course, course they are, the professional course. singers. But I would say even more aware. Um, I think especially during the Holy Week um, services, there was a great sense that what we were doing was um, not just important, but um, rare and rather special because very few churches were able to be having music if they were able to have Holy Week services at all. Indeed, yeah. So we know that the music, well, the the, the, the liturgy from here was viewed all around the world. And I think that our singers did take that seriously. And um, they were sort of aware of that. Aware of you it. Were, and I think yeah. gave, consequently gave a very good account of themselves. Yeah, very good. Um, and that, of course, has continued. Uh, but as a, a musician, of course, it makes a difference when there are really people in the building. And I think, yeah, we have appreciated that. I mean, just on that that point of, of people around the world tuning in, as it were, um, th- I'm very, very grateful that the Dean decided uh, right at the beginning of this uh, lockdown period that we would continue having solemn vespers and benediction on Sundays, which of course has become an important part of um, the liturgical life of this cathedral. But um, sadly, that isn't the case in most parishes or indeed most cathedrals around the world. No, indeed. Um, So we have had um, correspondence from people from all sorts of countries who have said that they're grateful to be able to tune in to Vespers and Benediction. And, you know, it's not like Mass, actually, where in some ways, well, actually... It's out and out impossible to participate in mass on uh, viewing it online. It's not participation. It's it's not. It, nevertheless, it's a good thing to do, I suppose, if you can't actually be in church, but you're not participating in mass. Um, however, with the office, I, I would say that that uh, concept is malleable, at least. Mm. Um, I would say it's more possible to pray along with the office. Um, if you're tuning in online, uh, than it is with the mass. So I think that that's something we'd like to, to continue and encourage people to do. Brilliant. No, I think that, that, that sounds very positive indeed. And it must be very, um, both heartening and very encouraging to, to get these grateful messages from around the world. Yes, it, it really is. It's nice to know that people appreciate what, what's going on actually. Brilliant. Yeah.
So, so what was that, Thomas, that we were just listening to? Well, that was um, a piece of Palestrina. And I should say that actually in, in this time when, you know, everything that we're doing has become concentrated out of necessity, we're not singing as many choral services as we normally do. We don't have as many singers as we normally do. And we're not able to sing as much music in a service as we would normally. Mm. So I therefore, um, as, as well as everything else, thinking about what it's most important for us to do. Right. And that is Gregorian chant and Renaissance polyphony. Absolutely. Back to, back to first principles back for the choir. Back to first principles. And, you know, when you think about that first principle, I don't suppose it gets uh, uh, any more clear than um, Giovanni Pierluigi de Palestrina. So this is um, a motet. It must have been very difficult for his mother to, to call him to, to dinner. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, being called after where you live, does that mean that really he's just some, like Johnny Vegas? Yes, that's a, a good point. Yeah, <laughs> if Johnny Vegas actually lived in Vegas, in or Vegas, Paul, Paul Hollywood as well, he doesn't. Yeah, yes, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, uh, that was the motet from Vespers on the third Sunday of Easter, and it's uh, the text is Jesus Jung sits a discipulis suis. Um, it's Jesus meeting the disciples on the road to Emmaus yep. and showing himself. So um, anyway, I think, isn't it interesting that sometimes a particular um, text, usually a, a particular story from the Bible, just you can tell has has um, inspired a composer uh, in a particular way. And I think that's an example of, of Palestrina having um, been perhaps even more inspired than usual. Yes, absolutely. Now, we have received some questions from a listener. That's exciting, isn't it? Isn't it, it just? Mm. Uh, so I'll just try to... There, there are a series of questions, some of which are, uh, are related and others aren't. But, uh, but um, So we'll, we'll just try to synthesise them as best as possible. So they're, 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 they're from a, um, a listener called Lawrence, uh, who wrote to us by email at staveoff at cathedralchoir.sydney, uh, which uh, anyone can do, of course. Uh, so the first question uh, he asks, um, he would like to know how uh, anyone can make countertenors sing high notes like a soprano with, so that they don't tire their voices. <laughs> what a good question. Um, firstly, I myself would like to know how anyone can make countertenors do anything. Right. <laughs> I'm not yes. aware of uh, the answer to that. Right. Um, uh, but on a more a serious... Strong-headed breed, are they? They can be. Yeah. Um, well, of course, I don't really have to train the men of the cathedral choir um, because they're professional singers. They come able to do their thing already very well. Mm. Um, so my job is just to make sure that they're doing it um, at the same time. Yes, <laughs> <really>. right. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and to coordinate their efforts. So they come to you already trained. You haven't had that, to... That's yeah. right. Yeah. But having said that... Um, the, our program that takes um, firstly boys with unbroken voices as choristers, and then um, we try to keep them singing and call them scholars. Some of those boys, as their voices begin to change, do settle into singing as countertenors, which means even though their speaking voice um, may have have changed, that they continue to sing in falsetto, mm -hmm. uh, which makes that that high pitch that that the countertenors do. Um, how do you train it? Well, it has to be essentially a natural um, singing voice for that particular person. Whereas most countertenors can sing in the more normal baritone or tenor register, mm. um, 
and vice versa, most people can sing in falsetto to an extent. I can do it for very short bursts, and the boys in the choir usually beg me to stop. And me too. Everyone begs <laughs> me to stop. <laughs> it doesn't sound very nice. Whereas for some people, it 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 is natural and sounds very beautiful. Mm. So there's that to it. I mean, is of there course- a, is there a comfort thing there that they, that they're comfortable singing in falsetto, and so it's a, a, their sort of natural go to register? Perhaps yes. Yeah. Um, it. it you would have to decide to to want to do that. To want to do it, I right. think. Um, and of course, there it can be trained, and, and um, singing teachers would would know what to to do about that. But I, I think the point is that it it can can sound sometimes um, a little bit unnatural, but. The, the best um, training and practice would be for anything that makes it sound comfortable and natural. Mm. The next question is about uh, the divine praises that you sing uh, every benediction on Sunday evenings and what that tune is that, that, that's <laughs> yes, used. Yes. Occasionally people do ask me about that. Right. Um, and it's interesting because I'd not encountered um, the singing of the divine praises, at least not in that manner, mm. um, before coming to work here in Sydney. Um, and the former dean of the cathedral, Father Paul Hilda, introduced me to this setting, and I've I've come to realise that it is quite well known. Was by it a Catholics. forceful introduction? Did he did he require no, you to? Uh, no, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite, because I was conscious back then, ten years ago, that a lot of what I was introducing to the musical life of the cathedral came from elsewhere. So when there was uh, the opportunity of. Um, continuing to do or encouraging the use of something that was from here, um, I, I was very keen to do so. And uh, it, indeed, it does seem to be well known by, by Catholics. So um, where does it come from? Well, yes, I had to do that. To find out, I actually have to look at something called um, the, the Catholic Worship Book 2. So this is a, a, a relatively recent um, revision, I think in the last uh, three or four years or so, um, of, of a former book that was put out by the um, Catholic Bishops' Liturgy Commission. May I predict what that one was called? <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. The, the, the prequel to the right. Catholic Worship Book 2 yeah. was predictably Catholic Worship Book 1. Um, anyway, I have the, the new version, the lovely um, shiny new version here, and if I look up the Divine Praises, it says um, that the music is from somebody called C. Eliot. So there we are. C. Eliot wrote C. it. C. Eliot. But employing your big musical brain, I mean, what what uh, would you say it's a recent composition? No. <laughs> no. No. It seems to me as though it must be a couple of hundred years old, I would say. Right. Um, and look, as far as I know, it's Australian. I could be wrong about that because, of course, right. so much was imported. and, and But I, I haven't encountered it anywhere else. Um, it is interesting, but when when I uh, hear it, I I always have a certain um, kind of sense of of some of those Anglican psalm chants, especially in the harmony, at least. Um, well, it has that somewhat four square kind mm. of approach to harmony, but maybe perhaps that's why it's successful. Um, so, look, if people are interested, I can recommend for for many reasons, not just the inclusion of the divine praises, uh, the Catholic Worship Book too, and uh, it's in there. In all good bookshops? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and then um, our, our listener's final question. Um, 
is to ask you how you choose the soloists. Do you select the boy treble a few minutes before mass? And what about for the adults? <laughs> That's another good question. Look, with the boys, it varies. And I try to find as many opportunities to give all of them. Um, some solo experience as I can, mm. um, and that's there's a, there's a certain amount of. Um, I, I think I can see where the question might be coming from, and because there is a certain amount of uh, um, law, isn't there, about the way um, trebles get chosen for the once and Royal David City solo from King's College Cambridge. That's right. That's that's the one, and indeed the the, um, the story. And I, I think it's not just a story. I think the reality is that uh, in order for that boy not to get nervous by building up to it for days that they're just sort of picked um just as the cameras are about to to roll into roll yes i always assume, i do assume though that uh, that they, they probably have a fairly good idea of one or two boys that it might be i think that's right yeah um but look for solos here well um the first thing is that it takes Sometime for a boy's voice to to mature to the point where he will be able to um, sing a, a, a more complicated solo, which and of course it's the, the complicated ones are the ones they want to do ultimately. Mm. Um, but in order to get there, they have to be able to sing less complicated, less glamorous solos. Just to get into the the practice. That's right. Were, to yeah. be used to it because uh, and again. I've had so many times the experience of um, hearing a boy sing uh, even a small little solo really beautifully in the song school and then to freeze in the cathedral or maybe it goes wrong. Yeah. And um, of course, then we often have, have tears and uh, yeah. and all the rest of it, which is perfectly understandable because as a singer, you, you, you know, you, you put, put yourself out there and uh, boys are great at this. They'll do it. But then they also feel very suddenly very self-conscious, especially if it doesn't go as well as they hoped. Right. So my goal is to give all the boys as many opportunities as I can um, to experience the highs and the lows of, of singing on their own in a building like the cathedral. When we have weekday services, of course, there are many opportunities to do that. And for the youngest boys, it might be just singing the uh, the first word of the Sanctus on their own. Right. And that can be a really big deal. Yes, sure. <laughs> um, then uh, in Gregorian chant, there's the opportunity to be the cantor, to sing um, perhaps a whole psalm verse on their own. Yeah. Um, and that can be a very good thing to get them into the, uh, to the next phase. Yeah. Then there are certain um, pieces that always come round. I'm thinking of um, Foray's Mess Bass for Boys' Voices, which we would do every term. And that has a solo in the... Uh, in the Kyrie um, that all the boys will know by ear um, and I try to find an opportunity for them all to have sung that at some point and there are mm. others in that category um, including of course the famous solos like the the solo including the, to the top C in the Allegri Miserere yep. um, even once in Royal David City those yes. sorts of things um, but I also have to exercise a, a, an amount of discretion knowing what what's likely to be a successful and ultimately positive experience for each boy sure and not giving them the wrong thing right and also presumably to to be r relatively sure of a certain amount of success for the for the That's choir right. as a whole yeah that as well do you get um do you ever have boys who who categorically refuse ever to do any, any solo singing? Yes, we have. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. That's. Uh, and do you try to work around that, or do you just 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 leave I, leave I them be? I usually try to encourage. I, I think I've always had some success, but I think it's also true that there are some boys that just don't. That's not why they're in the choir. No, right. Which is not to say they don't love singing and they don't want to do it. Um, it just might be that they do not want to sing on their own. They're different things. And if yeah. that's if that's the case, then I don't push it. Very good. Mm. 
Uh, well, so as I say, uh, listeners, do please um, continue to send in in questions. Uh, we're delighted. Thank you, Lawrence, for for yours. Uh, now, you 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 were talking just then, of course, about the uh, the choristers and and um, their experience. Now, schools have returned in the last few weeks, and yet we're not seeing choristers return to sing. So what are they doing in the meantime? <laughs> well, um, before the boys were back at school um, in person, we did have about five weeks of um, remote learning, including remote song school. So we kept the um, morning rehearsal schedule in place, as it would normally be, um, which meant uh, my colleagues and I, we, we divided the, the group of choristers and scholars up between us. And uh, yes, we, we had Zoom meetings at the, the normal rehearsal time in the morning, mm. which was How interesting. Yes. Um, look, I'm glad that we did it, uh, but we saw it right from the beginning as being an opportunity to teach not only in a different way, but to teach different content. Um, there, I mean, the first difference, which is still the case, is that there was no looming performance, uh, which required us to prepare the boys uh, for, for. So... Um, Therefore, we were able to think about particular concepts that, that could be useful. Um, and over the four days of the week, we sort of had, did different things on different days. Uh, so I usually would choose some repertoire for the week, not, not too much, but um, some polyphony, um, some Gregorian chant, which they'd be sent, obviously, electronically. As, and I usually find a recording as well. So that we could um, go through, it's with with Zoom. You can't really all sing at the same time. No, you have a time delay. I mean, with anything, just about over the internet, you have that's right time delay when you've got so many different people involved. Yeah, but of course, in smaller groups, it was possible to get individual boys to sing lines back to me. So we're able to cover things to do with them, um, sight the singing and back intervals. To the old solo problem. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and actually, I have to say they were all fine at this. Right, possibly less nerves than we might normally have in yeah. person in the company. Their own um, homes, so they they all gave that a really good go, um, and actually in these sessions, I think I did discover little gaps in their knowledge that we might not otherwise have known about. Right. Uh, so that was useful. Um, I was also able to to play them some examples and videos. Um, there's um, a British musician, composer, and uh, television personality by the name of Howard Goodall. Yes, indeed. Who's made some really brilliant documentaries explaining many different aspects of music um he wrote the theme song for uh or theme music for the vicar of dibley, vicar of dibley and indeed mr bean i think oh that's right yes. yes yes indeed and i mean he's he's just he's an excellent communicator right uh and i showed the boys a few different um excerpts from what howard goodall has had to say on various subjects mm. and one of them that was very good was about why palestrina is important um, so for them to, to be able to put some of the singing that they do every day into a historical context was was quite useful. Very good, yeah. Um, and people, with, people can find those documentaries on YouTube, can't they? Yes, it's probably not the case that they ought to be on YouTube, but anyway, I think they are. You can find them, <laughs> yeah, yes, if right. you went looking. That's right. Yeah. Um, with the scholars, we actually attempted singing Vespers over Zoom, where by um, each of them sang a verse on their own, having to remember to mute and unmute themselves as, right. as they went. <laughs> yes. uh, but that was an interesting thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, at least the, the, the few weeks that we had to do that, it was possible to keep the choir together 
in one sense. Yeah. Um, but when the boys started a phased return to school, I think in the first week of this, they were at school maybe two or three days and then four days. And now they're back to being at school as normal every day. Mm. Um, and so we have choir as normal. But there are some changes Um we are still trying to keep physical distance even in the song school so that there's um, uh, some metres gap between each boy even when they're singing. Um, we're not letting them uh, reuse things like pencils or share any materials. Everything has to be cleaned and sanitised in between rehearsals, all of that kind of thing. Uh, so the um, I hate the phrase the new normal and I'm sick of hearing it. But, Me too. Um, for want of anything better, that's <laughs> the way we are at the moment. Mm, um, better than the old weird. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, in fact, yesterday was the first time that I had the scholars and the choristers singing together. And the way to do that with physical distancing was for them to sing around the perimeter of the crypt. All right. Um, meters apart. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, it made for a very beautiful, if somewhat unwieldy sound. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think it was just nice for them uh, to be able to do that again, to be able to sing some uh, music in more parts and to hear each other's voices and all of those things. And it was nice for my colleagues and I also to hear it. Yeah, right. And um, there have been some um, suggestions in, in some of the news reports, especially from America, about um, viral transmission in singing. Now, I know that you have... This is uh, an interesting one, yes. Yes, you have, you have strong opinions about some of that. And, uh, well, I have an opinion about hysteria. Right. I wouldn't say that I have opinion about... Um, health or scientific advice regarding uh, the spread of the coronavirus. <laughs> no good. That is uh, there, are, there are enough people who are uh, yes. <laughs> above my pay grade. Right. Um, but uh, look, we know that firstly, one can only become infected with the virus if somebody with the virus has been in our proximity. Yes. That's point number one. So it, doesn't, it doesn't just uh, appear by magic. <laughs> Indeed. Although we do know that it can live uh, sort of a half-life on surfaces and in the air for periods of time, all the rest. I accept all of that. Um, but I certainly think that one important reason that um, Australia and indeed New Zealand have done reasonably well in the... Um, uh, suppression of the virus has most to do with their what could be termed splendid isolation from yes. the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, so, our, and, and what happened here was that the borders were closed, especially to high risk countries, relatively compared well, to the rest of the world, very early absolutely. on. Absolutely. The UK has only just done that. Quite recently, exactly. Um, after, of course, having you know, really, in comparison with here, enormous um, mm. incidences of um, infection. So, that being said, any um, what we call it um, anecdotal evidence from people singing in choirs in the United States or in Europe um, <laughs> is really only applicable here insofar as we would extrapolate any infection rates. 
right. to our own experience. Yeah. Um, the one story that really did go all around the world related to a choir, a, what we might call a choral society. So that's a large choir of um, mainly um, middle-aged and above adults. Yeah. Um, in Buffalo, New York or somewhere? Somewhere like that. Yeah. Many of whom um, became sick with coronavirus after having attending a, a, a choir practice. And initially they said, oh, and they maintained physical distancing and did all the, the right things and yet they all got sick. It must be because the virus um, is particularly, is spread in a particular way through singing. Well, there's a, um, a what I would say is a sort of a dubious sense of cause and effect there, um, because when that particular case was reported on uh, more thoroughly, it became clear that their idea of social distancing was a distance of 15 centimetres between chairs. Right. Well, that's just nonsense. Um, they had a break in the middle of the rehearsal at which they all had a good old chat and a cup of tea. Mm. <laughs> so really... Probably the, at that point, they were further apart than 15 centimetres. Yeah, but yeah, indeed. The, the extent to which any kind of serious mitigation was really undertaken, mm. you know, I, I would say that in those circumstances, they could have kept their mouths closed the whole time and many of them would still have got sick. Yeah. Um, then we've had um, all sorts of studies um, uh, involving uh, the spread of the virus to do with aerosols. And again, that is that is really interesting and important, important work should be done. Um, but um, again, it has to be said, you can only spread the virus via aerosol or any other means if you've got the virus. <laughs> and... Um, we also know that uh, not only are infection rates really very low in this state at the moment, but that it seems that children um, are less likely to spread the virus even than adults, which is not to say that it doesn't happen because we know that it does. Yeah. Um, so we are proceeding. And, I mean, you said infection rates are low, but what's perhaps even more um, pertinent is that that so-called community transmission rates, where um, people are, are, you know, in the in the in the big wide world, are, are transmitting it to one another. They've been at zero for the last two weeks in New South Wales. That's right. And the only new cases have been from returned or arrived travellers. Yes. Uh, now, who, course, who are in quarantine. Any of this might change. And what we're doing at the moment is only based not only on the um, current health advice and indeed restrictions, but also on a risk assessment. Mm. And, of course, people involved not only in education but all sorts of areas of, of work um, have to make risk assessments. But then we also make risk assessments when we decide to go on holiday when we decide um, to get in a car. Cross the road. Yeah, indeed. Um, and people might well make a risk assessment about uh, going on a cruise, for example, these days. Um, You'd hope. <laughs> indeed. So um, we have assessed the risks and uh, believe that with physical distancing and a range of other mitigation strategies, um, that it is a worthwhile risk to continue singing in the way that we are, which is the boys on their own. We haven't yet um, had the boys of the choir sing with any of the adults of the choir. I think um, a number of circumstances would need to change before we would change that um, right. decision. 
But uh, is there a, the possibility of the boys singing on their own um, at services in the cathedral in the current um We're looking at climate? that. Um, yeah. Whereas in the song school and in the crypt, uh, outside of service times, it's possible for the boys to stand far enough apart mm. that we don't think there's a significant risk to do with this aerosol issue. In the cathedral, when there are pews and members of the congregation and f- other bits of furniture in the way, yeah. um, it's more difficult for us to find a, a good solution for how to maintain that physical distancing while singing. I suppose the point is that there are more always going to be more boys singing at once than the four or six lay clerks. That's that exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a larger number. Yeah. So... That, we're still looking at that one. Right. But we're not going to rush it because it's it's important not only to be doing the right thing, but also uh, to be seen to be doing the right thing. Of course. So. Of course. Well, Thomas, thank you very much. I hope that we'll be getting together soon at an appropriate distance. Indeed. And uh, in the meantime, we hope that you all enjoy this podcast. And if you do, please do uh, leave um, reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, or uh, you can leave a comment for us uh, on this podcast page on the Cathedral Choir website at uh, cathedralchoir.sydney slash podcast, and then click through to this episode's um, page. Uh, And do please um, like us and subscribe to us in your podcast clients. So that way uh, you, well, two things, you then... um, Uh, get uh, notified as soon as there is a new episode whenever that happens Uh, and uh, also um, we uh, uh, see some improvement in our ratings and then it gets recommended to new listeners and uh, so on and so forth and do of course please tell all your family and friends about this podcast and how much you enjoy listening to it and how you really want them to listen to it too